the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 21st of August 2011, entitled, Where is God when you are hurting? Here's Brother Pedro Yearwood. Good morning. It's marvellous to see you all, it really is. It's always like coming home, that's how we feel anyhow sure if you're always glad to see us home, but uh, we, we, feel, we feel like uh, it's always home. We're always glad to see you. We're sorry that there are people away, but you know, it's August and this is um, holiday time when people get a, a long deserved, long waited for a break, and well deserved. And so we're sorry we're missing uh, some folk, but we'll, uh, we'll catch up with them, God willing, during the course of the year. I wanted to say especially a great thanks to uh, Carl and Rivka for all their generosity and, and uh, taking care of us uh, this weekend and uh, the courtesies as well for doing the same. We sort of descended upon them like a herd of, uh, of uh, wild uh, watsits and, um, and they've been very gracious to, uh, to look after us and we appreciate it. Thank you too for all your prayers uh, for us and be assured that we will be praying for you uh, in these next uh, few months until our pastor gets back. And uh, we will be praying that it will be a time of tremendous encouragement and, uh, and growth, uh, spiritually and perhaps even numerically. Um, God is able to do that. He's not uh, limited uh, or in need of uh, any particular person's assistance. Uh, he is God, is he not? And so, um, whilst he gives us people to, uh, to guide us and to shepherd us and encourage us and so on, uh, he's still God. Uh, so let's not forget that. But be encouraged. Uh, I, uh, I think there are good things ahead, encouraging things ahead for you uh, in the next little while. In uh, the book of uh, Matthew chapter uh, 22, uh, don't, don't bother turning there, we, we, we won't be there for long. Um, the Lord asked the Pharisees uh, a, a very interesting question, a very straightforward question. Uh, he said to them, what think ye of Christ? That's a good question, isn't it? What think ye of Christ. And uh, you know the scriptures are full of uh, the answer to that. It is uh, the scriptures of, uh, are full of uh, names, rather titles, uh, of our Lord. Um, all throughout, uh, certainly throughout the New Testament, there are so many um, very dis- uh, descriptive titles of, uh, of our Lord. And, uh, and so just to um, uh, just to get some help, I wonder if you could, if you could perhaps um, help me a bit. Uh, it's all right. You can talk back to me. I won't, uh, I won't panic or anything. C- can you think of, of any? Let's see if between us we can come up with 10 um, names of our Lord uh, as recorded in the New Testament. Like, for instance, um, he's, um, he said, I'm the door. Can you think of any others? The shepherd, the good shepherd. Emmanuel. I heard another one. The gate. I am the bread of life, king of kings, and lord of lords, living water. Well, this is good. The true vine, the alpha and omega, the way. Oh, this is great. This is tremendous. And we could go on and on and on. There are so many. In fact, I think outside in the foyer, am I not? But there is a, there's actually a, a lovely a picture there with lots and lots of names uh, of the Lord Jesus. And every single one of them 
so descriptive. You can, you can almost feast on just one, one a day, like, 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 like vitamins. You know, you can feast on each one of them every day. You get so much from it. I, I made a note of, uh, of a few as I was thinking about this, and we've mentioned some of them. Son of God, Emmanuel, Lamb of God, Light of the World, Savior, the Word, the Alpha and Omega, the Good Shepherd, the King of the Jews, the Lord, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Lord of Glory, the Holy One of God, Cornerstone, Foundation, Chief Shepherd, Beloved Son, and my favorite of them all, from the book of the Revelation, right at the very end, Faithful and True. Oh, I love that. Faithful and True. And we could go on and on and on. So many of these wonderful titles, that, that each of which uh, says something very, very special about God. It reveals something uh, about our Lord. But I noticed that there was one which no one mentioned. And I'm not surprised. Because it's not one that, um, but that would generally come to mind. It's one that um, perhaps we would not uh, spend as much time thinking on. Uh, it perhaps might not jump out and grab us quite as readily as some of the others. But that is the very one that I want us to spend a few minutes this morning uh, looking at. And you may get home early, uh, all going well. Now, I said may. Don't, don't, don't hold me to it, but may. Uh, I, I, won't, uh, I, I won't be uh, spending too, too much time um, uh, giving you many, many points. I, I, just, I just want to make one point, but I hope you remember it when we're done. This particular name is found in the book of Isaiah in that very famous chapter 53. So if you'd like to turn there with me, please. Isaiah chapter 53. And just, um, we'll just read a few verses. And I suspect you will, you will see, you'll spot that name uh, as, we, um, as we go along. Isaiah chapter 53, uh, look at verse 1. He says, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground, he hath no form nor comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men. Now look at this. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Right there tucked in the middle of verse 3, one of the most precious descriptive uh, titles of our Lord Jesus Christ. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And that's what I want to, um, to, to, to focus on this morning for the next few minutes. Uh, I've entitled this little look in the scriptures this morning as the God who hurts with you. God who hurts with you. And um, the aim is to answer the question, the oft asked question, where is God when you are hurting. This morning, I want to, uh, to do something a little bit different. Um, I'm going to shut up, mostly, and I'm going to let the scriptures speak. And what I want to do is to ask if you would turn with me 
to some passages of Scripture, which I hope will make the point before we come back and um, draw an application from it, which I hope will be of help to you now and, and in the days to come. I've tried to keep them all as close together as possible to avoid you turning back and forth. So we're in the book of St. John. We'll start in chapter 4, and we will mostly be in John. Right at the end, we'll turn to 1 in Luke. So follow with me, if you could, please. In, in uh, John chapter 4, verse 1, the God who hurts with you. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, asketh drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him, a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that says thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah is cometh, 
which is called Christ, when he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no, no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. Turn over to chapter 5, if you would please, and look at verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem, by the sheep market, a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue, Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lying, and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and took up his bed, and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. Just turn a few pages over, please, to chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 1. Jesus went on to the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, and with his finger wrote on the ground, as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, and Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. A few pages over just in chapter 11. 
one tells us, now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the tongue of Mary and sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, for the son of, uh, that the Son of Man might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he heard, had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that saith he to his disciples, Let us go unto Judea again. His disciples said unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things he said, and after that he said unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought uh, that he had spoken of taking of rest in sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, to the intent he may believe. Nevertheless, let us go on to him. And said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. That's a couple of miles. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The Master is come, and calleth for thee. As soon as she had heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in that place where Martha met him. The Jews then, which were with her in the house and comforted her, when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled 
and said, Where have you laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man, which opened the eyes of the blind, have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus therefore again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been, it hath been, he's been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldst believe, thou shouldst see the glory of God? Then, took, uh, then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus, lifting up his eyes, and said, lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. When he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound a hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. One last passage of scripture. If you would please turn back to Luke chapter 19. Verse 37 says, And when he was come nigh, even on uh, now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Verse 41. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench upon thee and compass thee round and keep thee in on every side. They shall lay thee even with the ground with thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. I wouldn't normally read that much scripture um, in preaching a message, but I, I felt... Um, I felt led to do so for this reason. Nothing speaks so eloquently as the word of God about itself. And I wanted you to, to hear what the Spirit of God had recorded for us in these um, five uh, events. Uh, the woman uh, at the well, the man at the pool, the other woman on death row, uh, the friend in the tomb, and the nation on the brink. In every one of those instances, there is a common thread, and I wonder if you picked it up. In every instance, we had the Lord either placing himself somewhere deliberately, 
as, uh, for instance, on that particular well, at that particular hour, for that particular woman, or being there by the pool on that particular day for that man who had been there for so long, 38 years. Some of us know what it feels like to, to, to live with chronic pain or, or some illness or disease. But 38 years, that is a very long time. But on that particular day, Jesus placed himself there for that man. And that woman who had been uh, brought before him by the, by the uh, religious leaders uh, for a stoning, it was to be her execution day. Once again, there was the Lord bringing comfort and forgiveness instead of condemnation and fear. Uh, instead of uh, a dead end, which is what the religious leaders thought would be the consequence for this woman, instead of a dead end, there was a fresh start. And with Lazarus, you may say it's one thing to be ill for 38 years, but death is final, isn't it? That's the end. But even there, the Lord intervened, not just for Lazarus, because he was, uh, if, if, uh, he was a man who died believing uh, that the Messiah was who he said he was. So Lazarus himself was in no trouble after death. This was for the purpose of his disciples, for Mary, for Martha, for those around, for you and for me. And of course, when Lazarus came back it, the, and, and they told him what happened, um, it, it would have obviously done a great deal for him as well. And latterly, the one we read in, in uh, Luke, where Jesus beheld the city and wept over it. A God who hurts with us. There are many things about God that you and I have learned over the years by experience and especially by way of the scriptures. But one of the things that really takes a long, long time to seep right into our, uh, right into our minds and, and, and into our spirits is the fact that we have a God who cares for us to a degree that we find it hard to grasp. We know he loves us. But we somehow in our minds still see him very much as a remote God who loves us remotely from out there. It's not that he doesn't love us. Clearly he does. Just look at Calvary. That is love. That's the greatest love. But now what about day by day in the things that you and I go through? Is he there? Where is he when, when we are really hurting? Not not just facing some difficulty. Everybody faces difficulties, but when we are really, truly hurting, and not just as a one-off, but chronically, or on and on and on and on and on, does God still love us? Well, I hope that you can see, as we read these passages of Scripture, that ours is a God who is a very present help in trouble. He is not a God afar off. He is not a God who has saved us and left us to get through life until we get home. He is a God who is with us 
He is a God who cares intimately about every single detail of your life. Sometimes it is discouraging when brothers and sisters don't seem to have the sort of care that perhaps not perhaps that we certainly should have one for another. Steve was telling us this morning about a, uh, an experience he had when uh, he thought the Lord had laid something on his heart and he went to, uh, to speak to someone um, who he, who, uh, of, uh, of whom he was sure that uh, encouragement would come. He thought he would hear, oh, great, brother, that's wonderful. What can we do to help you along? And instead, he got a stone wall. In fact, the wall fell on him. And sometimes it happens. Sometimes we, um, we don't get the encouragement we should do from each other. And it is, it is easy, almost natural, to think that God is something like we are. That he cares, but he's mostly busy. I mean, he's got a whole universe to look after. Why would he be interested in what is going on in one single person's life? One apparently obscure person's life. Why? Almighty God who has vision of all things and control of all... Why would he pay attention to... to to my particular troubles, why? Well, he tells us. The answer is so simple that we miss it. Simply, he loves us. It is as simple and as profound as that. He loves us with a love that I am quite sure we will never really grasp until we get home. The longer you walk with him, the more of an idea you get of that love. You, you get a, a, a clearer and clearer vision of it, clear and clear understanding of it, but still, oh, it is only when we get home that we will begin to truly grasp the extent of God's love for us. You know, the thing that thrills me about our Lord was here was Emmanuel, God with us, God in human form, who could do anything, who knew all things, but yet it was said of him uh, in Isaiah 42 and verse 3, that a bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall he not quench. It is that gentleness that I have only, myself, fairly recently begun to get some understanding of the amazing gentleness and care of our God. And as we read these um, passages of scripture here in John 4, 5, 8, 11, and so on, and in Luke 19, time and time again, as we read these things, again and again, you see that, that gentleness, that, that personal interest coming through again and again and again with a woman at the well and that man at the pool who sat there for so long and that woman who was taken in the very act of adultery Martha and Mary, and I suppose in a way, that, uh, that day of the triumphal entry, as we call it, into, into, uh, into the city, certainly that day when he positioned himself and looked down at the city and wept over it, that says so much. 
It said that at the tomb of Lazarus, two words, two of the most powerful words ever penned, Jesus wept. If it was a psalm, I'd say, Selah, stop for a moment and just meditate on that. Let that marinate. God, in human form, as he stood before Lazarus's tomb, he didn't just shed a, a little tear. It said he wept. Can you imagine Jesus weeping for you? No, seriously. Can you imagine Jesus weeping for you? You only weep over things that really uh, get right down into the very depths of your heart. When your heart is virtually breaking with, with desire or with pain for someone, or that's the only time you really weep. Now, you may shed a tear for this or for that, or, a bit of a sniffle, you know, you overcome with a bit of emotion. But think of all the times when you have really wept, and you will remember every instance because something profound was happening, something that was happening that, that, that meant so much to you. It was as though everything else in the world for that moment had stopped. No one else was there. It was just you and that situation, you and that person, or whatever. It might have been at a funeral. It, it might have been in, in, a, in some situation where the Lord did something amazing. Or whatever it was, you will remember it because it, it, it meant something to you. Then the Word of God tells me that Jesus, Messiah himself, wept. And by the way, he wasn't weeping because Lazarus was gone. He knew he was going to bring him back. At any rate, Lazarus was not gone as in disappeared into the ether. At any, at any rate, he, would, he was going to be in paradise. He was going to be in heaven. We're going to see him shortly. You can ask him what it was like for those four days. Maybe he'll tell you. So Jesus wasn't weeping for because his dear friend had died. I can only think that part of that weeping had to do with the awful consequences of sin. You see, just as he knew Lazarus, he also knew Adam. And it was that day when he came walking in the cool of the day to meet Adam and said, where art thou? And found that Adam, uh, or rather Adam announced that um, he was hiding himself because he, he realized that he was naked and he, and he felt ashamed. And all the consequences that flowed from there this same Jesus was there. He knew Adam. He spoke to him. He saw when the, this, this whole horrible story of sin began. And in a way, the death of his friend Lazarus encapsulated it so vividly that day. It was as though in, in, in Lazarus, he could see all of us. Who would suffer the consequences of sin? Sin and death. The two go together. Started in the garden. And it says Jesus wept. He wept. Because he knew and understood and felt all the pain and the brokenness in the hearts of Martha and Mary. 
and the others who knew Lazarus. Hebrews uh, chapter 4 tells us that we have not a, a high priest which cannot be touched uh, with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. We don't have a savior, a high priest, a God who is remote from us, like Islam's Allah, if he, if, if he did exist, which he doesn't. Their God is a remote God out there who's given them laws and said, you obey them or else. The true and living God is a God who has come close by. He has come as close as he possibly could. And he stayed there. And he's here. He's here this morning. We don't have a God who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. One who was in all points, in every way, tempted like as we are yet without sin. It's when we begin to grasp the reality of the present, personal, and I'd even say particular, love of God that verses of scripture like this one here in Psalm 56 begin to take on such meaning. The psalmist said in verse 3 of, of Psalm 56, he said, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. He goes on in verse 8 to say, thou tellest my wanderings, put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? When I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me. Emmanuel, God with us. But thank God, also God for us. You're not in this battle by yourself, regardless of how much it feels like that. And beloved, I know the feeling. The feeling of being overwhelmed with it. And feeling like, yes, God loves me, but he's, he's left me to fight this one by myself. No, he has not. No, he hasn't. The psalmist says, this I know. For God is for me. I'm not going to say it much more. In fact, I'm finished. But I know this, that these, um, these messages are all well and good on Sunday morning. But you don't live on Sunday morning alone, do you? You also live on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. And it is then that you and I experience what I call real life. I'm not saying this isn't real, but it certainly is different. How, how we wish that we could spend Monday and Tuesday and the whole week together like this, it'd be marvelous. And one day we will. And we won't even have to worry about the weeks. It will be eternal. That's coming. But for now, the majority of our time, we have to spend it in a world that not, not only does not know our Lord, but that increasingly as what was left of Christian culture and heritage in this country disappears and dissipates, it is becoming increasingly antagonistic towards those of us who would want to be so um, arrogant as to take our trust in God and our 
what we know of him out from the walls of the local church and out into the community. Now that's a step too far in the eyes of some. And in the workplace and in so many ways, uh, there's pressures beginning to be brought to bear. And then there's so many other pressures in life, health uh, problems. I, I'm sure if this morning I said, could you put your hand up, please? All those here who've got some sort of a health problem. The majority of us would put our hands up, bar perhaps some of the very youngest. Don't worry, your turn is coming. <laughs> Just hang on. It's true, isn't it? Most of us would have to put our hands up because our bodies are, are ailing and uh, they are dying. That's not a bad thing. It's the only way we're going to get home apart from the rapture. So whichever comes first, it doesn't matter, we win. But meantime, it hurts, doesn't it? And then there are other pressures. Uh, because we live in a society that is, is selfish and is utterly materialistic, and um, where the whole system of society uh, drives us on, makes us busier and busier and busier, and tries to tell us you need more and more and more. And uh, in fact, tries to uh, almost force us to, to, to be people that we, we don't want to be. And it is relentless. It goes on and on and on, day after day, week after week, month after month. There is no escape other than in the Lord himself. But all these things are pressures and stresses that we live with. And it's wonderful when brothers and sisters can pray for each other. And, it, and it's, and it's even, even, in a way, even better when we can, in addition to praying, go out of our way to care one for another, which is why I'm so glad that you, you take time to pray about things here. You, you, you stop and you pray about individual needs and so on. And you hear people talking about, uh, oh, sister, so-and-so is, oh, brother, so-and-so needs such, you know, and you talk about it and you try and help. That's wonderful. That's one of the great strengths of this, of this church, this local church. But beloved, there are times when, frankly, none of us can help the other. There, there are things that are just too big for even, even uh, corporately for us to, to deal with in the lives of individuals. Things that really are frankly beyond us. And things sometimes that are so pressing and that are so hurtful and so relentless in that pain, in that hurt, in that stress. Where is God at those times? Beloved, he's right there. Right there with you. I did not plan to preach this particular message this morning. I really wanted, I had something else in mind, but this is what the Lord placed on my heart, and so I've tried to, um, to convey it to you the best I can. I'll share one last verse of scripture with you. Isaiah 63 verse 9. It says, in all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them in his love and in his pity. He redeemed them and he bare them and carried them all the days of old. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. I'll never forget the first night, it was a night, when that verse dawned on me. That in all my affliction, in all that I was going through right at that time, it wasn't just that the Lord was aware of it. He was also afflicted. He was in it with me. A God who does not just care remotely, 
who does not just love remotely. He is a God who gets right down in there with you. I hope, dear brother, sister, that uh, in this week to come and during the course of this month or for as long as um, the Lord leaves us here, that as you read the word of God, that the spirit of God would more and more and more help you to see that the almighty creator God who spoke and brought all the worlds into being. The God, the Bible says, in whom all things consists. He literally holds everything together. The God who is omnipotent, omniscient, knows everything. Past, present, future. It's all one to him and he knows it all. Omnipresent. He doesn't have to go anywhere. He's there. That same God, let me use the words of Acts chapter 1, this same Jesus, this same Jesus is right down there with you in the midst of whatever it is that you are going through. And I will tell you, I have come to realize that there are some very, very difficult things. I mean incredibly difficult things that God's people sometimes have to face. As a young Christian, I used to think that as a child of God, yes, I'd face some difficulties, but the really bad things would never, that wouldn't happen to me. God would get in between and stop it. But beloved, I've learned that our God is sovereign and he will do what he knows is in our best interest, which sometimes is absolutely bewildering to us. It is, it is just, we're gobsmacked when we see some of the things that the Lord allows into our lives. We think, well, the first thing that occurs to us is this must be a mistake. What's happening here? This is not supposed to happen. And then the enemy comes along and says, where is where is he now? You've sung all the hymns. You've attended church. You've helped here and helped there. You've been involved in this, that, and the other. Now look at you. Where is thy God? Where is he now? He is exactly where he needs to be. Right in there with you. And he is going to bring you out of it as well. We do not have a high priest that cannot be touched with a feeling of our infirmity. He's touched, beloved. Oh, if you, if, if you don't get anything else from what we looked at this morning in the scriptures, please, please get this. He's touched. Whatever it is you are going through, he is touched. In all your affliction, he is afflicted. But unlike us, he is not helpless. He is in control. And... In his timing, and it has to be his, he is going to deliver us mightily. And he'll do it again, and again, and again, and again, until we get home. Then all of us can rejoice together. At our great God, you see the scene of tremendous worship in the book of the Revelation. And I tell you, I have now, when I read that, 
I think to myself, I've got a pretty, I've got a, I, I've got a pr- pretty fair guess that the vast majority of those worshippers have been right down in the very bottom of the bottom of the bottom. And they learnt down there just what a wonderful, gentle, loving, personal God is their God. And so now, here we can see him face to face. We're standing in glory, which, which will happen. It, one day, I, I think it won't be long, we will all be together. What a day that will be. What worship when we can finally express it all and bow before him and thank him and know that, that is all, that's not the end. That's the beginning of all the glories that are to come.